Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Okay, before I introduce David to speak, I'm just going to read the passage from which he's going to speak. And given that it is Pentecost Sunday, that is the passage for today in Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there, and we're going to begin to read at verse 1. This is what it says. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Will you please put your hands together and welcome David as he comes to the stage. Well, good morning, everybody. What a special morning it's been. Uh, Let me just start by congratulating those that have been baptized. Fantastic and wonderful to hear each of you so succinctly expressing something of the change that God has worked in your lives. It was just absolute highlight for me just listening to you. Warm welcome to those of you that are family and friends of those being baptized who are visiting this morning. We're thrilled you're here. We hope it would have been a really worthwhile morning for you. Thanks for joining us. And the biggest thanks of all is to everyone who has made today happen. I was getting emails from Nate at a time of the morning that many of us aren't even aware of on a Sunday uh, this morning as he got things going. It was wonderful in that film to see that the loudest, the loudest cheers were reserved for some of those that served most. And uh, just Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. So let me just add my thanks to all of them, everyone who's made today happen, putting this together. I mean, I know it all looks seamless and effortless Uh, But it is anything but. So huge thank you to them and to all of you who serve any Sunday at all. We're part of a huge story since the birth of the church 2,000 years ago. As Andy said, Pentecost Sunday today. So let's just take our minds back 2,000 years. And I have a question to ask you. I want you to imagine you are back 2,000 years ago and that you have a small core of followers or small core of people who are new to this Christian faith. Your founder has left you. He is no longer with you. Your job is to come up with a plan to take this 120 people and make them the largest religion that this world has ever seen and to do so so that 2,000 years later it is still thriving. How are you going to do it? 
Well, if there's any management consultants here, I'm sure there's some management consultants here this morning. You guys are going to be thinking, ooh, strategic plan. Really? Five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 2,000 years. And incidentally, none of your core team are really very educated. They've not even heard of strategic plans. Others of you might say, it's got to be about money. You can do anything with money. Really? We'll actually get to this, but in the next chapter, when Peter comes across a needy person, he actually says to him, silver and gold, I have none. So you can't even start with that. Even if you could possibly raise the billions of pounds and find a way of using them so that 2,000 years later, Christianity could be owned by over a third of the world's 8 billion people, you've not got money to start with. How are you going to do it? Well, if you're into leadership here, you might say, okay, I am going to get the elite of the elite, the best of the best leaders, and we will do what we do, the impossible. Well, you ain't got a good crowd to start with. Only six weeks ago, they are unable to stay up through the night when Jesus needs them the most. The next day, they won't even own his name when he's in real trouble. You think you're going to change the world with them? So, just how are you going to do this? Just how are you going to take that 120 in Jerusalem and create this, let alone this around the world so many times over? I mean, whole books have been written on. How was it? that a carpenter from Nazareth would, over a relatively short period of time, change the ancient world so that instead of the classical gods of Athens and Rome, Christianity became the foremost religious force. Well, it happened in the most unlikely way. They're all together. I think because they didn't know what else to do. And then we're told, and the author of this passage and this whole book of Acts is almost certainly Luke. Luke writes, suddenly there's a violent wind. Well, that's not all there is. He says it's a violent wind from heaven. So this is something unusual. This wind which grips the 120 seems to give them an energy, a confidence, a conviction which they haven't had before. Then we're told this fire that separates. Was it a block of fire to start with? We don't know, but it separates onto each head and seems to act in some sort of refining way. It seems to get rid of some of their weaknesses and come to the fore their strengths. Who would like some of that this morning? Lose some of your weaknesses, your strengths, all the louder, amplified. Well, that is what happened. And they are then, it seems, almost instinctively... I, as you read it, you don't think this was a sort of conscious decision. But with this wind and this fire and this energy and this power, this is the breath of God. They are propelled out onto the streets and they start speaking and explaining what has happened to them over the last three years as they've walked and lived with Jesus and saw him die and then 
saw him raised from the dead. And they speak with such conviction and power that people gather from all over the place. And by the end of that day, 3,000 more have been added to them. This is the start. This is the explosive ignition that you and I would never have dreamt of, would never have come up with in our greatest, most creative moments, would never have thought was possible, which starts this massive tsunami of love that spreads first through the Mediterranean. We read that in the book of Acts and has been spreading across the world ever since. And that is what we celebrate today. And those stories that we heard earlier are just some of the latest stories in something that has been happening for 2,000 years. I want to suggest that although there have been all sorts of other explanations for the creation of the church, that what, what Luke describes in Acts is as likely, more likely than anything else, to be the real reason why the church ignited as it did. And so in the just a few minutes I've got, I want to draw three lessons from this story, three lessons from the birth of the church, which we, I think, really need to bear in mind today. And the first of them is this. If we started with the Holy Spirit, then we need to continue with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit just as much now as we did then. In the next chapter, Peter and John are on the way to the temple to pray, and they come across this man who has been lame since birth. He has never walked. Peter, as he passes him, and this man is begging, he's after money. Peter, as he passes him, looks at him and gets the man's attention. The man must have been expecting some loose change at least. But Peter looks at him and he says, I have no money at all. Silver and gold have I none. But then he says these really important words. He says, but such as I have, give I thee. What's, what's he got? Well, he's got the Holy Spirit. So he says, such as I have, I give you. And it says that the man's legs and ankles instantly become strong and he gets up. It must have been astounding to watch. And we're told that he went leaping, walking and leaping into the temple. And those that have passed him every day must have thought, is that, is that the same man? Such as I have, give I to you. Now, my question to you, Christchurch London today, is have you got it? Have you got something to give away? You see, one of the dangers with the church is that it moves from energy and pulsating life to organization, systems, and structures. Now, there is nothing wrong with organization, systems, and structures unless they replace the life that was there initially. There's a very famous story told about Thomas Aquinas coming to visit the Pope in Rome. Thomas Aquinas uh, one of the most famous and significant of all Christian theologians. And the Pope took him on a tour of the churches and the palaces which the church had, the wealth that was there. And on his tour, the Pope said to Thomas, he said, Thomas, no longer do we have to say silver and gold have we none. And Thomas, quick as, a, quick as anything, came back to him. No, he said. And neither can we say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so there'd been a transfer. 
from one to the other. If you were at the central service last Sunday, you will have heard me tell the story of Immaculate Ilibagiza, a remarkable woman who survived the Rwandan genocide in the 1990s. She and seven other women spent 91 days hidden in a bathroom in a pastor's house. She told the story of how she lost half her body weight during those 91 days because of lack of food. If you actually looked at the shape, the amount of space there was, you would have thought seven people couldn't fit in there. And she, when I heard her speak, she literally talked through, well, you, one stood like this and another stood like that, and then somebody came and stood almost on top of us. She didn't have a shower for three months. When asked, how on earth did you make it through frightened every hour for your life? She said that I made it through because I prayed and the Holy Spirit when I slept gave me dreams that strengthened me. When she left prison, uh, when she left prison, must have felt like a prison, when she left the shower, the shower room, the toilet, when she left the bathroom, she found to her utter dismay that her whole family had been butchered. She tells a very moving story of going back to the site of her home and finding it burnt to the ground and even coming across the corpse of a member of her family. How, what, what sort of response do you give to that sort of thing? Not least when one of the murderers was the father of one of her friends at school. And she says that again, she was strengthened because the Holy Spirit gave her dreams in the night and gave her the strength to forgive. And she actually met the father of her friend, looked him in the eye and said, I forgive you. She has now spoken in many countries around the world. Her book, Telling This Story, has been translated into 17 different languages. Right now, her story is being made into a major motion picture, such as I have give I you. She has inspired thousands and thousands, men and women, to forgive. We continue the way that we started out. We started out as the church of Jesus Christ by receiving the life of the Holy Spirit. We, we look to it, we need exactly the same at this point in time. Just as we get bigger and as we reach out into different parts of the city and we need more structures and systems and organization, and Nate senses an absolute, just creates these things the whole time. Thankfully, we need them, but we need even more the presence of the Spirit. Such as I have, give I you. Do you have what you need to give to others? The first thing that we learn from Pentecost. Second thing that we learn from Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit actually creates a family. The Holy Spirit creates a family. We've often talked from this stage in recent months about the fact that there is a loneliness epidemic sweeping the Western world at this point in time. Not only is it sweeping the Western world, but London is at the top of just about every table and stat that you can come up with. And yet here we see, in this story, people from all over the known world. Andy just rattled them off. I don't know whether you know, Phrygia and Cappadocia and so on. 
Well, actually, those modern-day names would be Iraq and Iran and Turkey and Cyprus and Libya and Egypt and Rome. People from all over came to hear Peter. They received the Spirit and then apparently, without any instruction, rather than returning to their peoples or their tribes, they clung together. They came together as a family. The very opposite of what happens so often at the moment where people get into their tribe, their group, and shoot at least verbally shots from there. And this most extraordinary, what Paul later calls this new man, this new body, this new family from every nation, background, and part of society that is drawn together, and it's done by the Holy Spirit being poured out. You can't make this sort of thing happen with decrees and with announcements and with important people or celebrities saying things. It has to come from the heart. And the Holy Spirit not only was the architect of our hearts, but now is the changer of hearts. And the key word that you find in Acts chapter 2 is the word fellowship. Fellowship is different from friendship. You or I are friends with the people that we get on with. When we have fellowship, that is with people from all sorts of different backgrounds who we may not normally get on with, but we become one in Christ. And so the fellowship is created. And that is what we have here. Let me just give you a few examples of this loneliness epidemic that we've often talked about. And, and these stories were all in one of the newspapers a little while ago. First one, Emily Jones. She said she started to struggle with loneliness when she was on maternity leave. Here's what she said. I'm sure people look at me and think, what on earth does she have to be lonely about? But I am. Once my husband's gone back to work, and visit uh, the visitors have stopped coming, and my older two have gone back to school, I suddenly felt so alone. I craved adult conversation. So much so that going to the supermarket became a bit of a sanctuary for me. I stopped doing a big weekly shop so I had an excuse to pop in regularly. I won't go to the self-service tills so that I can get a bit of conversation with the cashier. In any supermarket, if you look down the aisles, there'll be lonely mums like me pushing buggies. Number two, Ben Adams. Ben is a writer who broke up with his wife six years ago. He thinks divorce is one of the biggest causes of loneliness in the UK. He said this, The first day I moved into my new house, I cried. You don't just lose your partner in life, you lose your friends too. I'm fortunate that my kids are with me half the week, but on the days that they're not with me, I wake up and it is so quiet suspect that sometimes he'd wished it had been a bit quieter. But then, of course, the reality of being by yourself kicks in. Kylie Taylor, number three, a young professional who's been living in London for five years. I'm a type A, says Kylie, which means I want to achieve, achieve, achieve. And that can be a nice feeling sometimes, but it can also make you very lonely. Despite living in London for five years, I still have those moments. In fact, it almost feels like it's getting progressively stronger. It's difficult to admit, though, that you're lonely to others or even to yourself. 
Nobody puts on Facebook, I've just spent the whole weekend eating 11 packs of hobnobs and watching Friends. Everyone posts the highlights reel. And in reading those and all the stats, I have to conclude the church is not doing its job. Sure, there's lots of answers, but the family of God who says, come as you are and we will be starting the empowered service this afternoon. Be here right at the start because Kaya are singing to start to kick us off. Come as you are. That's literally their name. And that's who we are as a family. You have to conclude that the family, the family broadly, is not doing as much or what it should if our city is suffering in this sort of way. How do we respond? In two words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, practice hospitality. The definition, dictionary definition of hospitality is the friendly and generous reception and care of guests, visitors, or strangers. Now, I've not time to go to open your homes, open my home today. Let's just think about our Sundays and our services. I want to encourage us all to treat your service like it is your home and welcome people to it. To treat guests, visitors, and strangers with generous hospitality. It can be the start of welcoming them into the family. Three suggestions very quickly. Give people a warm welcome when they arrive. Give people a warm welcome rather than just zoning in on those that you know. Now, I have to confess, I rarely go to new churches unless I'm the visiting speaker there, which gives you a somewhat different experience. But on the occasions that I do, I know if I am not welcomed, I can't help at some level, some deep level, to be thinking they're really, nobody's interested in me here. Give people a warm welcome. Secondly, prioritize talking to the person that you don't know rather than to the person you do know. And thirdly, regularly add new faces to your social circle. Regularly add new faces to your social circle. If your social circle is so tight there's not room for anybody else, actually it's not going to last too long anyway. Just with anything else, it is entirely true that to give away is the best way of getting more. And so as we open ourselves and our circles up and welcome others in, so it makes a huge difference. This is why we need the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It not only gives us relationship with God and something to give away, but it gives us relationship with one another. We would have nothing here if it wasn't for the outpouring of the Spirit. Finally, the Holy Spirit provides us not only with relationship with God and relationship with one another, but it provides us with a sense of purpose. You and I are deeply wired that we would need purpose. And you find that when the Holy Spirit fills you up, you're eager to go out and to serve your community, to work for, as we say, the cultural, social, and spiritual renewal of our communities. And when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we receive power that we would not otherwise have. When you read through these stories of Pentecost, it's as if these people full of the Spirit have an energy and a confidence that they would never have had otherwise. This is not just A-types, to use Kylie's term. This is people who are different because the Spirit is upon them. And it seems that persecution only makes them more determined that as the church in Jerusalem gets persecuted, they just sort of start 
jumping out and starting churches wherever they go. So you find you have power that you would not otherwise have had if the bank had come back, please. Secondly, you find that you go places that you would not otherwise go. Do you ever sense a whisper in your spirit? I should be here or I should be there. We started the South Service. The reason we started the South Service is because Tim and Jackie moved to South London and the Holy Spirit did a work in their hearts and they loved that community. And I would be very hard to get them to move from that community because God has done something in their hearts. Now, once God had done something in their hearts, then we created a community around that. Some of you will not be aware that the reason we started the service in Bethnal Green is because Joel Kendall, who was our student worker at the time and is now in another country starting a church, actually said to me, I remember him saying to me one day, David, I think there's about 10 Christ churches in East London. It's a while ago. He said, I'm going to move there. And that 10 has now multiplied 15, 16, 17 times. We now have a service in East London. I wonder what the Holy Spirit or who the Holy Spirit is whispering to now. I wonder where we feel his nudge to another part of the city or to set up camp, if you like, in an industry. This is my industry. Along with the power of the Holy Spirit, I will seek to do everything I can to renew this industry so it just does good to our world. Well, I wonder who the, Ho- who the Holy Spirit's whispering to you to as Andy spoke up and said, hey, we've got Alpha coming. Alpha is fab. Looking across this room, I can see people whose lives have been changed because they did Alpha. I wonder whether, as Andy spoke, you felt the Holy Spirit whisper to you and say, don't forget that friend or this friend. I know that I did. And so we find that as the Holy Spirit's poured out, we have power we didn't think we had. We end up places that we didn't expect to go. And we end up speaking to people that we didn't expect to speak to. The Holy Spirit poured out, transforms individuals. It creates communities and it empowers us with a sense of purpose. Let's stand together, shall we? Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit christchurchlondon.org.